Welcome to episode 322 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. It's the Juan Soto edition of the Pelton oh, Cast. Wow. <laughs> Just drop that in there. Your favorite new Mariner. Let's freaking go! <laughs> you, you still haven't said your name. I'm Tristan Carcino, but who cares about that? And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champions. Where Seattle the takes Seahawks. are hot and also the weather is hot. Oh. When, the, when the temperatures rise, so do the takes. <laughs> I think the takes are actually cooler. Sometimes it's a little bit too hot to write the hot takes. Uh, to cool us down on this very warm day. Hello. In the Puget Sound. We have from our friends at Block 15 Brewing Company in Corvallis, Oregon. Oh, which is a place I was going to say, today. Block 15 Brewing Company based out of... Uh, <laughs> Silver the Kraken? No. <laughs> <laughs> what is the freaking casino in Vegas? Oh, Block 16 at the Cosmopolitan. At the Cosmopolitan, Not, not yes. related, although obviously they do have uh, a, a Portland eatery there with lardo sandwiches but uh this is the summer nights kolsch uh with a nice baseball here diamond uh a german style kolsch beer blends a pilsner malt base with both the lighty, lightly fruity quality of an ale and the clean finish of a lager enjoyable watching the corvallis knights apparently that's their team there uh we're learning hustle for the win playing catch in the yard or tending to the grill on a warm summer evening summer nights is a crisp and oh so drinkable beer perfect for any occasion, including toasting to Julio Rodriguez, extending his personal winnings. There we go. Because That's the Mariners all that winning matters. streak might be over. I, I just want to say, first off, when I think of uh, warm summer nights watching baseball, I think of a German Kolsch. <laughs> Number one. That's the first thing I think of. But Luca played in a tournament in Federal Way called the Summer Nights Tournament, spelled literally this exact same way. Tell me it's not fate. He played there this last wow. weekend and is playing there this upcoming weekend. Two consecutive weekends. Did you see the play he made? I did see it on Instagram, on the gram. I mean, what a what a world we live in in 2022 that I can see the highlight of a U10 a, baseball game. U10, it's actually U9. Okay. <laughs> U9, 9U baseball game. But the other amazing thing about the world we live in now is that children can just watch YouTube clips from all of history and be informed in what they're doing based upon those YouTube clips. So what happened was, to me, this was the headiest play. Not, not that I'm biased or anything. This was the headiest play I've ever seen a nine-year-old make. I mean, I guess you do have a pretty good database now of nine-year-olds making plays. This, it's also for me personally, again, very biased. But let me describe the situation. Luke was playing first base defensively. Uh, there was a runner on first. Ball gets lined to him at first. He grabs the ball in, the, in his glove, right? He doesn't squeeze and instead gently drops it to the ground because the runner is going back to first. Drops it to the ground, tags that runner, steps on first base for the double play. Like, that is a heady... F so a kid later, I will give it up, on the other team, the Stanwood Cannons, the hated Stanwood Cannons. Oh, wow. Uh, the is it a derby match? When you win? <laughs> Stan was Stanwood versus sort of Newcastle? No. Uh, no, that is not a derby match, but... 
The Stanwood Cannons, one of their players, their third baseman, made a diving catch later in the game, and that is an amazing skill play. Correct. But this is what I'm saying was the great... That was It was a better skill play than what happened. This was a heady play, is what I'm saying. When, yeah, I, when yeah. I was like... I We were watching the clip of the Anthony Rizzo play. That was a bunt, the Anthony Rizzo one, that got bunted out to him, and he let drop. He's like, I'm going to catch it, and then he lets it drop at the last second. He also got the player into a rundown, which is not going to work in children's baseball. <laughs> but... See, I couldn't quite tell how he had actually executed the double play because it was it was just too far away from Rizzo the, or no, Luca. Luca, I got Luca. What he Rizzo. did, so the ball hit his glove. He didn't. He didn't squeeze, and he just gently dropped it to the ground. But and the, the runner, taking first, the runner before he he yes, got the, back to first is the key to the entire play. The the runner was running back to first because he thought he caught it and didn't want to get doubled up that way. So it was a force on that runner, and then he stepped on first for the other force. But, like, they were commending Anthony Rizzo for that play. This is just me being a proud parent. Yeah. Uh, it was really a, a Kevin ESPN's Kevin Pelton-like type play. <laughs> for me... I mean, it, I don't know that I have an example of something like that in recreational or no, youth sports. No, he's exceeded both of us in any recreational sports. I mean, obviously. But, but as far as, like, headiness, like, they were, com they were commending Anthony Rizzo, a professional baseball player, on the play. So to see a fucking 10-year-old make that play, I was just like, god damn. That. I do. I do question whether he dropped it intentionally a little bit. He claims he did. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, he knew the play to sight at the very least. Exactly. He, he came back to the dugout. And I was like, I did. He he said exactly like I did that intentionally. And I was just like, it's almost so good that I couldn't even imagine that you could do it intentionally. Right. But if there's anybody who is nerdier about like past baseball, who can just cite fucking baseball from the '90s or whatever, there's nobody else. So. <laughs> It is a, a unique skill. It sets him apart at yes. the U9 level. When I mentioned well, that his teammate was related to Jeffrey Hammonds, and he knew who Jeffrey Hammonds was. I mean, I only knew because I looked it up. The former first pick in the draft. Uh, ahead of Derek Jeter. Is, is, is discussed in the captain on ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. Uh, we're going to plug for the company here. Uh, it toast to that. I heard uh, nobody watched that. I, and the I'm, ones who did hate it. I'm sure many, many people watched it. Uh, I heard Alex Rodriguez was the star of the movie, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the old sports star of the year, Alex Rodriguez. Do you thank you? Well, it was only like 25. I forget what the ratio was that he was Seattle sports star figure of the year for you. Because he wasn't at 100%. There was someone else involved. I can't even remember who the other. You, the fan, was the other one, right? That was a real cop out. Oh, boy. It was a, it was a rough year. <laughs> was it actually? I don't know. So, uh, a a toast to again Julio Rodriguez extending his personal winning streak to 15 games with the Mariners. It's 16 games overall, there we go. including the All Star game where both he and Ty France were on the winning AL team. And we haven't recorded since the home run derby where Julio Rodriguez stole America's hearts. Oh my God! With his performance, if not the actual trophy, whatever trophy they give for the home run derby. I, Probably not a cup. I was so upset because we just wanted to emergency pod back-to-back -back days about the Mariners <laughs> so bad. Like, the idea that we never once emergency podded about the Mariners before and then to be able to do just it two days in a row. Zero to 60. It, it was just like some... Like, seriously, Juan Soto's route, right? Like, Juan Soto won because of, like, off a better offense, defense, and rule changes. Like, he beat Albert Pujols in route. You know what I mean? Like, it was fine. That's future Mariner Juan Soto to you. I'm not going to disrespect it. We love our Dominican brother, Juan Soto, alongside Julio. But, like, it just wasn't... What Juan Soto did by winning that wasn't impressive, and what Julio did was impressive. In the same way 
that in the 1993 Home Run Derby at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, the famous Oriole Park at Camden Yards, Boog Powell's Barbecue, Ken Griffey Jr. going off the warehouse, we remember Ken Griffey Jr. winning that Home Run oh, Derby. Oh, of course. Spiritually, he was the winner. It doesn't matter that history records... It was Juan Rodriguez, right? Juan Gonzalez. Juan Gonzalez. Juan Rodriguez. <laughs> probably a player, but... <laughs> yes, probably. <laughs> not, not what I know, but Juan Gonzalez winning that one. And much like the Rangers earlier tonight, he might have been close to winning the game. He might have technically won the game, but that didn't really work. Yeah, Another you, you, actually you lost that one. You probably should have <laughs> written that one down. <laughs> Flushed that one out. Anyway, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, in the same way that we remember Ken Griffey Jr. winning that 1993 home run derby, we will look back on the 2022 home run derby and we will remember that Julio Rodriguez won it. Because Julio Rodriguez may not have won it, but Julio Rodriguez won it. Correct. I mean, it was a truly historic performance with two of the greatest rounds in the modern history of home run, the home run derby since they went to this format where you're going based on time. Uh, Let's see, we've got, the, we've got the list here if I scroll down and keep filling and keep filling. Well, to me, sort of in the similar vein, I always think about the Armando Galarraga 28-play perfect game, right? Yes. And the, like, the reality is the, the official stats or whatever, the, uh, the official MLB stats, those don't matter. What matters now more than anything is Wikipedia. Oh. And that, that's where stats are really made. And Armando Galarraga, look, say, it's same with Pedro Martinez, right? The perfect game that he took into extra innings with the Expos, right? RIP. Like, those things are more important. Everybody's thrown a perfect game, right? So many players <laughs> have thrown perfect games ever. Nobody, Nobody has taken a perfect game in the 10th inning in the same way that Pedro did. I believe and, no one's thrown a perfect game since Felix did. Really? His last perfect game? I believe that I heard that on a broadcast at one point, which is now I'm hearing things on broadcasts. I've reached that level that of baseball be fandom. True. That cannot be true, that Felix has the last perfect game. And in the same way that many players have recorded 27-out perfect games, Armando Galarraga is the only one to record a 28-out perfect game. Uh, five, the top five rounds, there's six total that have been 31 home runs or more in a single round in the home run derby. Two of them delivered by Julio Rodriguez on the same night. Didn't win the competition. Bonkers performance, but truly incredible. Wow, Felix really was the last one. Yeah, I remember in the like mid two thousands, they were no, happening constantly. They were, but so many no hitters, but not as many perfect games. Like, like I, remember I mean, also like, the, what are the like, odds Matt that someone Kane would actually one? throw nine innings in a game? Yeah, that's true. Like I remember <laughs> the, the Dallas Braden one. Happened? I remember the Matt Cain one. They were coming in hot for a while. I mean, there were two like two months apart in two thousand twelve. There were three perfect games, and there hasn't been one for a decade now. Pretty wild. Wow. Okay. Hey, that's kind of cool, actually, that Felix is with the last one. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, our other semi-emergency pod today, besides Julio Rodriguez's personal winning streak, reaching 15 games with the Mariners, 16 games overall, is a farewell to Chris Carson, who was waived by the Seahawks with a failed physical designation on the eve of training camp and uh, is first reported by Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Plans to retire after being unable to get cleared from the neck injury that ended his 2021 season. So not terribly surprising news given the most recent updates that we heard from Pete Carroll at OTAs, but definitely disappointing. Uh, glad that Chris Carson is prioritizing staying healthy, but uh, sad that he won't be able to get back on the field. And I just loved watching Chris Carson run more than anything. 
you know, he was somebody who came kind of out of nowhere. Like I distinctly remember when he was drafted doing our post-draft recap pod with Zach Whitman and Zach being like, there's this running back in the seventh round. Keep an eye on him, Chris Carson. And him going from seventh round rookie to starting running back during that season was it was exciting. And again, the way that Chris Carson ran was probably the most similar to Marshawn Lynch of, I don't want to say anybody in the league, probably could compare Derrick Henry or somebody like that, but he's somebody who, who could remind you of that as a Seahawk fan. And who was, when you look at the metrics of things that running backs can control outside of their line play, Chris Carson was always at the top of those. He was a running back who, more than anything, controlled what a running back can control beyond all the external factors. And that's, like, Chris Carson was just an exciting player to watch play because of the physical nature of what he did, the brutal nature of what he did. He was a straight football player, and I really loved watching Chris Carson play. And I mean, obvious with the tributes to him today on Twitter, we'll surely get more as media availability starts with training camp on Wednesday, how much he meant to his Seahawks teammates and, and former teammates in the case of Russell Wilson, who posted someone something about it, uh, you know, finished his career eighth in franchise history in rushing yards. And not that many seasons. Yeah, and, and several of them shortened by injury, finished three of his five years on IR, fifth on a per-game basis, rushing yards per game. Wow. There was a, There's a group of five Seahawks who have averaged at least 70 rushing yards per game in their career. Sean Alexander, Marshawn Lynch, Kurt Warner, Ricky Waters, and Chris Carson. That's pretty awesome. So. And I never felt like Carson was the type of back who it would be like 26 carries for 70 yards. Right, like he was making the most of those carries while he was. Well, he averaged four point six yards per carry for his career, so that's easily more than anyone else in that group. Pretty impressive. Uh, I mean, the thing that I thought back on today was going back to that. I I have often cited this on this podcast, the Indianapolis game last season Mm -hmm. that I was at and meeting up with Ben Baldwin (laughs) at halftime of that game and being so gleeful about the offense. And Chris Carson looked great in that offense for, for one week, you know, 16 carries for 91 yards, three catches for 26 yards out of the backfield. He was a huge part of how, how efficiently that offense cooked in the first game of the season. And, uh, you know, sadly, he only played, I think, three more games in his, in his NFL career. I really think when he was healthy, he was a factor in a way. Again, that, that's sort of one of these misconceptions that I, I kind of wanted to contradict or whatever on this podcast, which we talked about it with Ken Walker, where it's like, we're all cheering for Ken Walker to be good. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like the idea that it might not have made sense. And I want to talk about that piece in a second. Also under the, with the context of the Chris Carson injury, even if you are the type of person who's like, I, who would use the term like as reductive as running backs don't matter. Right. Maybe name a website after it. But like, if you... If, <laughs> who, who could imagine such a person? Who could reference him moments ago on this podcast? Even if you were somebody who, you know, ascribes to that, like, I- idea that basically running backs are replaceable assets, right? Or sh- should be lower valued assets with regards to the salary cap is really like what we're talking about. Yes. On the, with regards to the salary cap and draft picks. Or are easy to find because... you can draft Chris Carson in the seventh round and have him be, you know, start ahead of your first round draft pick running back for several years. It doesn't change how we feel about these players, Correct. you know? And I think that's it. We're just like watching Chris Carson run, watching Marshawn Lynch run, watching Rashad Penny run is really exciting. And especially, honestly, like you look at 
I guess all three of those. We've kind of had three players in a row. When you look at those three backs, there have been a lot of others in between, <laughs> even some Marshawn Lynch seasons. But like <laughs> the fact that I, I forget which recap of uh, of his career, I think it was our third Pelton brother, Mike Sean Dugars in The Athletic, uh, m- reminding us that he beat out Eddie Lacy for the starting job in training camp as a rookie. For, oh, what to, a time. To watch players like that, though, be able to break tackles, be able to make more of the plays, like that's what football is all about. You know, it's about a lot more than that now, but ultimately like being able to do that in the physical nature of football and what Chris Carson was able to do while coupling it with the elusiveness and the speed, like Chris Carson is a straight football player and it was fun to watch him play football, whether you can be like, okay, they gave him too much money last off season, or they added value by drafting him as a seventh round pick. None of that shit matters in the end. When you're watching a player, you're not like, this is so amazing. He broke that tackle and he was a seventh round draft pick. All you care about is what's happening on the field. And I think that's sort of a misnomer when we're talking about football in this macro sense is that like, if you, again, if you are a person who would subscribe to that idea, it doesn't mean you're cheering against a player and, I think it's really important when viewing Ken Walker going forward. We're just like, you can really see, we knew that we had an understanding when the pick was made that Chris Carson's future was likely not going to extend in the season. And we also know that Rashad Penny has a pretty questionable injury history. You look at the Seahawks, you can understand that if you're a team who wants to have a competent NFL starting running back, why you would make that pick where they made that pick. And in hindsight, Knowing what happened with Carson, knowing I still think Rashad Penny will be one of the best running backs in the league if he's healthy, healthy. But you can understand how they got there, and really, For we sure. should probably be thankful that he wasn't their first round pick. <laughs> like in the end, the restraint that the Seahawks used to draft Ken Walker with was pick forty-two. I don't. I mean, maybe their second pick. I don't know that they were going to take him at what number. Numbers teams eight. have done it. It hasn't been that long since people drafted running backs in the first round. Ken Walker led the NCAA rushing last year. I mean, obviously, Rashad Petty was drafted in the first round. They haven't, they, it's been a while since I mean, it was probably the same draft where Saquon Barkley got drafted in the top 10. But I feel like in the, the results, top two, I feel like the results of that one, I don't think we're going to see a running back drafted in the top 10 for a while. We might see them dra- one drafted but we're talking in, the in the 40s. There's a big difference between the top 10, but that's what I'm saying. Is you're saying that they showed restraint to not draft him with oh, their well, first? Oh yes, pick. No, obviously not. You're saying with the Charles Cross pick? Yes, yes. But even that they drafted Boye Mafe ahead of Ken Walker. Although they were back to back picks, so it didn't really matter. Fair enough. <laughs> the order was pretty irrelevant there. Uh, so I again, it's it's a sad it's a sad way to go. It's an understanding that this is a brutal sport, and it's a, it's an especially brutal sport in the same way that like the other misconception is I. I think everybody who has this perspective on a personal level is just like, go get your money, running backs, you know? Yeah. And the, the reality is, as we're facing a very different NCAA, there's talks of unionizing players making a lot more money. Go get your money early, too. I mean, we've been talking about this in basketball. We mentioned this on the pod at one point. Drew Timmy, like that type of player... The NBA isn't super excited about guys like that, but college basketball, they're huge. They do it. They play a huge role in driving winning. So all of a sudden with NIL, the Drew Timmies and the Oscar Shibwes have this avenue to get paid more in college than they can as pro players. Absolutely. And I think... So I think something similar will happen with running backs. Look, we all judge organizations for whether they're paying running backs or not, but the reality is on a personal level, go get paid. Right. 
It's not my money, right? <laughs> like, we're not making this choice. I'm so happy that Chris Carson got that deal last year because of how brutal a sport it is. We have to acknowledge, you know, it's like, what is, do we really need the quarterbacks to get paid an extra 10 million on like a personal level? They're paid enough, you know? But players like Chris Carson, those are the players who need to be paid right now. He was a seventh round draft pick and he had to go get paid. Yeah. So I'm happy that it happened for him. I'm happy that the Seahawks treated him well. And as an organization, all things considered, the Seahawks almost always do right by players. Yeah, I think from that standpoint, certainly. Yeah. It's July, so I'm just like pro Seahawks. <laughs> oh, no. They haven't, oh, they haven't fucked anything up for a while. Wait until we get talking about quarterback tears. Just wait till that conversation later in this very podcast well continue our toast congrats to lol reigns lana cook sophia huerta rose lavelle and megan rapino who helped the u.s women's national team to the Concacaf championship and a spot in the 2023 world cup as well as apparently a spot in the 2024 olympics oh no oh no it's, it's coming being the Concacaf champion is good enough to qualify you for the world cup in women's soccer that is correct. Being the best team in the best organization in all of men's soccer, that's not enough. Who fucking not... got in there? Ireland? Uh, no, I don't think they ended up winning. I forget who they were facing. I want to say, like, Sweden was the other, the other finalist. I'm like, I'm... Uh, congrats for making the World Cup by winning the CONCACAF Championship, but what the fuck are you doing, World Cup? Why are you doing this to yourself? Well, if you not... don't want the best team in all of Europe to be playing, if you want to read the rules so that you don't want the best team in all of Europe to be in the World Cup because everybody else is scared, that's fine. I believe it's really up to UEFA in that particular case to decide the qualifying, qualifying considerations. They get to decide themselves, not the World Cup? FIFA doesn't decide that? Yeah, I don't think they... I mean, they decide how many spots to allocate by region, but I don't know that FIFA has any particular So you're saying UEFA is so scared of Italy that they had to rig the rules against them. They Something didn't like want that, yes. the best team. They want the stakes to be as low as possible <laughs> for the championship of their organization, right? I believe they mostly just want to make as much money as possible by continuously holding By having Sweden in the World Cup? Again, UEFA is deciding this, not FIFA. If you do a little search in the FIFA video game, there's like a top nine, right? Top nine uh, countries that you can search for. Is Sweden one of those top nine countries? Or is Italy? I look, the... Is Sweden tied for the second most World Cups of all time? Uh, it was actually Portugal. Portugal. I think they, they actually are, yeah. have a pretty marketable player on their there's roster. An, there is another team in there, though. Who did we lose to that sent us to this? North Macedonia. I, I We're talking like more about baseball. Fuck soccer. You're <laughs> weighing me down with these Sounders updates on just a legitimately bad sport. I'm going back to 90s-style America, right? Oh, no. Just like, do we, need to, do we need to talk about soccer when it is a, a fundamentally bad sport? We're going to talk about... I think about... the sport itself is good. I think the administration oh, okay. of the sport is pretty fundamentally flawed. Say what you will about the MLB and the MLBPA, those negotiations. They're not playing the World Series in Qatar this year. They're not playing the World Series in January. Like, come on. Uh, your hot takes. Fucking ridiculous. 
Who cares? Who cares about this? This is like the bubble World Cup. That's what we're going into. Oh, congrats, Anthony Davis. Come on. <sighs> Anthony Davis catching, catching strays here. Did not expect that to come. Uh, well, LeBron is, James has won a real championship. This is actually a pouring, pouring some out instead of testing. Because all-star MVP Kelsey Plum signed a two-year extension with the Las Vegas Aces. <sighs> will forego unrestricted free agency and the possibility of signing with the Storm this offseason. So. It's kind of the hangover edition of the Pelton County. Oh, no. Wow. We were so high last week. <laughs> Two weeks ago. We didn't rec- I mean. We just did the Mariners emergency pod. Nine days ago. And we were so high last week. Yeah. That's uh, all right. If you're cheering for the Aces also, you're happy about this news. True. And the Aces earlier this evening won the second WNBA Commissioner's Cup following in the footsteps of the storm. Kelsey Plum, leading scorer, not voted MVP. Her teammate Chelsea is, Gray got that What does the Commissioner's Cup get you? Money, basically. A it's trophy. Not, is it the like best record in the league similar to soccer? Or the Commissioner's Cup is it's a mid-season tournament, but you qualify based on your performance in the first half of the season in select games. That's stupid. Nobody cares. Oh, the, the Aces players certainly seem to care. If it's if the incentive is only for the players but not for anybody else, it's not that exciting. Uh, and lastly in our toast, congrats to Lauren Jackson who returned to game action uh, with the Australian Open national returned. team in Tuesday's 70-62 exhibition win over Canada and New York. The two teams will play again on Wednesday. Uh, Lauren... We're in number 25 for the national team. It's very unusual to not see her in her usual 15. I don't How know if it's do? retired or what. Well, I mean, we did, there wasn't, it wasn't televised, and there hasn't been a box score that we've seen. So all I saw was one highlight of her scoring and one for her first basket. Wow. I dropped a cool 70 in that one. <laughs> <laughs> kind of wild. She clearly came in off the bench. If she, she was scoreless when she came in, and then all 70 points. <laughs> well, well done. All right, now, now that our toasts are done 25 minutes into this podcast, do you want to talk about your trip to Nashville? Uh, well, let's just say New York and Nashville. Okay, you said earlier you just wanted to talk about Nashville. so I just want to talk about Nashville food. I, I see. And sadly, I missed, so was able to watch the Home Run Derby, Derby here in Seattle. Greatest moment in Seattle Mariners history. <clears throat> Better than 2001. Uh, and <laughs> Better than 95? Sorry, greatest moment in Mariners history since the slide. Okay. The double. Whatever. Whatever we want to call it. Uh, I was able to see that. Also, the, the John Marzano fight was after that. So was I feel that? like you need to start there. Okay. That's where history That's going to be your starting point. <laughs> John Marzano fight. I'm pretty fight. confident that was it. I mean, he wasn't on the 95 team. So it was definitely in 96. That's really funny. Uh, missed the All-Star game because I was in New York. Didn't spend, like... I, I obviously appreciate every recommendation for foodie in New York. When traveling for work, it's really difficult to get to places that I want to eat at. Had some phenomenal meals, had an excellent Italian dinner. Uh, I did want to say that after being in New York, it's my first time there post-pandemic, because uh, the pandemic is over, according <laughs> yeah. to the world of the bear. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> which is the only world that we live in. <laughs> How do you think the Pelton cast made it through COVID? Um <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's you afraid to let's remember some years whose idea do you think it was Carmi uh, <laughs> to do let's remember some years <laughs> anyway I, I had a friend who told me I there was like a lot of dialogue 
mid-pandemic, this is understanding, obviously we're in late pandemic era, right? I don't want to say that it's over, but like, I had a friend who was just like, New York's done. It's not cool anymore. There was an opinion piece in the New York Times, right? Wow. There's a lot of chatter from the terrible talking heads. The same fucking people who are like, nobody goes to Seattle anymore. And you and I were in Seattle this weekend. And there were still a lot of people in Seattle. There were, there were many people at Block Party, including shout out to uh, Adam McGinnis, who uh, was apparently right behind us at the Enumqua show. Uh, uh, they fucking ripped, by the way. Thank you for coming out, Adam McGinnis. But the same type of people who want to create a dialogue and say that nobody lives in New York anymore, New York isn't exciting anymore, it was just kind of hilarious to actually be there and see how wildly wrong that was. Because for yeah. me, in the places that I was in, in Brooklyn and Williamsburg, it was the best time that I've ever had in New York. And I was just like, New York is easily the coolest city in the United States. Like, all uh, love to LA. Easily. All, all love to LA and you know, like Nashville went there after phenomenal place to have a bachelorette party. But like, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not wrong. No, I actually, I had an excellent time in Nashville also. I think the people of Nashville are also incredible, but like New York is just so comfortably and easily the coolest place in the entire world. Like the openness and the different, the different types of people that you see, it's just not even close to the same as what you would see in a place like Seattle. Like I was just, I felt so good being in New York as a place and seeing what's going on. It was a hot summer night. The two nights that I was there, it was like hot summer nights. People were out. People were in the park. People were having drinks. Like it felt very, very good being in New York. And then going to Nashville right after that, it was kind of the same thing. Again, like Nashville is, I, I feel like the two of them are two of the coolest places in the country. And I told you about my meal that I was going to go have lunch at Locust in Nashville. I don't think you mentioned it was a lunch specifically. Okay. I the menu's the same, lunch dinner or whatever, but I went to lunch at Locust, literally the first reservation of the day, and it was definitely up there with the best meals I've ever had. Wow, okay. It, it was not even close. Just the extra touches. That's the piece where it's just like, you know, I Do you been, feel like you understood the extra touches a little more now that you've watched The Bear? Uh no, not The Bear, but watching Top Chef. Okay. Especially Restaurant Wars on the Top Chef. On oh. Top Chef where they, they sort of talk about just like the extra little bits that you can do to make it a better experience. The service element. The service element and the food element. So like, get in there. It's a very diverse menu. It's sort of like, they always have dumplings. Uh, I'm listening. Which, it's mostly a seafood restaurant. They have a fish of the day. They have a shellfish of the day. Um, I just got a text that said they are so sick. <laughs> Shout, shouts to Mike Seahawk Scout. I don't know what he's talking about. He has no words. They are so sick. Not sure what he's talking about. Fucking love it though. Totally agree. Uh, <clears throat> so ended up ordering uh, like a tomato salad. Phenomenal dish. You get in. Everybody waves and says hi. They're like, hello. How are you doing when you walk in? Everybody. Like everybody's cooking. It's sort of an, yeah. op- an open for plan of everybody cooking. Interesting. You could see them right there. We ordered dumplings. So, so where, where do they have the, like when someone gets stabbed, do you just <laughs> see that? That happens after hours when they close the restaurant. Uh, we ordered uh, tomato, a tomato salad with some sneaky cantaloupe in there. It was just like mostly little tiny tomatoes, right? Uh, cherry tomatoes with just like a couple of cantaloupes in there. Uh, beef tartare, phenomenal. Done sort of like sushi style, like make your own sushi style. We had the fish of the day, which was a white fish. 
uh, in a sauce. I've never had whitefish. I've heard a lot about it. I'll tell you. It's one of the best fish. There you go. It, it was in a sauce with lobsters and morels on top. Incredible. So what they do is they come by. They have the fish in sort of like the metal thing that you put it into uh, to roast it. They come by before it's cooked, and they're like, this is going to be your fish. They show it to you beforehand, and they're like, you're like, that's great. I'm so excited that that's going to be my fish, <laughs> right? And and then they go off and they roast it. It's another like 30 minutes later, but you're like, this is so, it's so fresh. It's not something that happens in the dark. It's right there. You can literally see the fish that you're going to be eating. Then it comes back, and it's all dressed up in sauce and lobster and morels or whatever. They bring you an iced tea beforehand this is perfect little cups of just fresh iced tea you know not like anything that you're adding just they just bring it to you right you're in nashville you feel good had had the white fish and then on top of all that so full but everybody was like you have to save room for dessert i'm like i don't really see a dessert menu not something that you order they just bring you dessert they ask you really? they ask you are you hungry for dessert and you're like of course, of course I am, right? And so they come by with this beautiful shave ice. Have I seen you the picture of this? No. You haven't seen that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send it to you. Share it to the podcast Instagram. It is one of the most... You said most, that as if you don't have access to the podcast Instagram. It is one of the most incredible desserts, at least, that I've ever had. So it's a shave ice around the outside. Very, very soft, like shaved raspberry on top. Uh, like a raspberry on top. You poke into it and it's super soft. There's like a little bit of ice and then like a little bit of cream. Inside, there's ice cream. There's uh, like candied raspberries, candied fruit and vegetables in there. Homemade caramel sauce inside. It is just like overwhelming with different flavors. There were three of us. Everybody got to eat a ton of it. And it was just like, inc- it was outstanding. It was incredible. Just totally on top of the meal. It's not that expensive a meal, all things considered. It's fine dining. Then. There's more? Not to put a hat on a hat, but you're like, we're done. Horseradish marshmallows. Horseradish marshmallows. I can't even. And you're just like, are you kidding me? This is what you're doing now? And so for those bits, like the meal was incredible. But, like, those extra bits even on top when you're like, this was one of the best meals I've ever had. The beef tartare was perfect. The fish was amazing. The salad was amazing. The dumplings. uh, So they were, like, pan-seared type dumplings. But the wrap around the dumplings was so soft. So they're clearing everything out, and they're coming back and bringing you dumpling materials halfway through this meal that's mostly seafood, right? And then they bring you a sauce to dip it in, like a a vinegar-type sauce a vinegar soy sauce type sauce. You dip it in there. You put a little hot sauce on top from a bottle that they bring you. It's sort of like you're just transitioning halfway through the meal. You're like, all of a sudden, I'm at this restaurant. Huh. And now I'm at that restaurant, right? They do that right in the middle of the meal when you're getting that. And the 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 wrap or whatever, the dough on the dumpling was the thinnest dough that I've ever had on a dumpling, excluding nobody. Interesting. It falls apart in your mouth. It was freaking incredible it was if we were judging seattle's best dumplings it wasn't a soup dumpling but it it would be pretty hard to compete with these dumplings so just it was a top-notch meal front to back but those extra bits just like you're like all right i had the best dessert i've ever had and they're like also here's a horseradish marshmallow <laughs> and they just dropped the mic no, I, I think Nashville, again, both these places are like 95 to 99 degrees, so I've been very prepared for this week. But 
I thought Nashville, the energy I mean, of what is happening. I was in Vegas. It was 110. I still don't feel prepared for this week. They have air conditioning there. The energy of what is happening in Nashville is pretty exciting, though. Like, it, it is, I feel like it is one of the coolest cities in the country at the moment. How much of the energy is the COVID transmission? I, I, I actually Googled while I was there because no masking. Not, <clears throat> I mean, masking in New York was quite a bit better, but. I'm kind of surprised by that because New York, like, wasn't that mask heavy last fall. Like, they were, it's all a the, vaccination I think, requirement. I think New York is pretty big transmission right now. Well. <laughs> I, th- I think people have gotten the picture. Uh, Nashville, there's none. Like, the transition could be through the roof. Nobody would care. But I don't know. Can I mention a dumpling thing to you that we didn't talk about when I was in Vegas? What is that? I went to this place called Shanghai Taste, which was the backup plan because uh, Mian Noodles was unexpectedly closed. And they had what they described as pan-fried soup dumplings, which I had not ever seen on a menu before. But you know what it turned out to be shockingly similar to, all things considered? It turned out very similar to the Cubao from uh, Dozone. So that's, that's definitely worth investigating if you want to head out to the Las Vegas strip malls, the Spring Mountain area there, uh, which has some of the best food in Vegas without question. I'm doing some intel on who's so sick from Mike. <laughs> Is it the Mariners? <laughs> Is it one of your bands? Uh, so no, no full-on hot takes this week. I, I have, or, I have or a you... minor hot take. Okay. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariners hot takes coming at you. Ever since Russell Wilson's rookie year, compared Julio to Russell Wilson on our emergency podcast last week, I get that football is different than baseball. We were so terrified about what it would look like to see the Seahawks without Russell Wilson. And it took a decade for that to happen. And do you want to know what happened? The franchise ended? I mean, yes. But we fucking cherished Russell Wilson after that. All of us except for maybe Pete Carroll and John Schneider. Uh, But we really recognized what we had when we saw a glimpse of what it looked like without... I would tell you that a lot of folks on Twitter right now do not seem to have uh, cherished that or recognized what's lost. On Seahawks Twitter? Yeah. But... We, we, I will say that we should be thankful in this moment because we got to see for one three-game series against the Houston Astros at what a world looks like without Julio Rodriguez. And I will tell you, it is bleak. We have to be in full-on protect Julio mode at any given cost right now. He is the most important athlete since Russell Wilson, right, that we're talking about. Because Subert is before Russell Wilson. Uh huh. Julio Rodriguez needs to be a Mariner for 20 years because even if the Mariners are winning, like I tuned in that game on Monday night against the Rangers, they get swept by the Astros. I tuned in Monday night against the Rangers, and I'm like, I honestly can't get that excited about this. Win or lose, it's like the playoffs are one thing, but I don't really care about making the playoffs if Julio Rodriguez is not on the team. And I realize that this to me is the same as Ken Griffey Jr. The reason I don't like the 2001 Mariners is because the 2001 Mariners, <laughs> it is the Mariners who are so sick. Thanks, oh, nice. <laughs> okay, good. Yes, I can't believe it. Oh, <laughs> let's fucking go. The 2001 mm. Mariners didn't win with personality. And that's what we care about in sports. We care about loving these players. Oh, I care about loving Sam many, many people, fans of each other's personality. 
Idra literally does not have a personality. What? The man hosts a game show. Or hosted, I don't know. I don't wow. know if he still does it. Fraley is in San Diego and we were at a bar screaming, bring him on the poat. <laughs> Should we call them up for a... <laughs> but what I'm saying is that it's winning is fun. Winning with players that you truly love is a different level. Winning with Julio Rodriguez is totally different. That 2001 team was just like, yeah, Again, it's, many it's people, dope. It's many dope. people love Ichiro. Many people love, uh, I, I don't know how else, many other people. For the, you literally can't even Jamie name Jamie Moyer. Jamie Moyer, people, fuck out of here. I mean, I was good. Edgar. I, I like, mean, people do like Edgar. Brett Boone. Edgar, Jay Buhner, yeah. Brett Boone. They were still yeah. on the team. But... We're still on the team is a weird way to put it with Brett Boone. You counted the 93? Yeah. Stint. Well, but, Brett Boone was our mortal enemy then because he was competing with Richie Everall for playing time. Maybe it was your mortal enemy. <laughs> I always love Brett Boone. But the reality is having Julio Rodriguez play is the most exciting thing. Honestly, win or lose, seeing Julio play and what he does every night, you know that you're going to see something, or at least there's the potential that you could see something that you've never seen before. In baseball, I know that's a cliche, but like that's what Julio. Or does. even if you have seen it, Adam Frazier is not going to do. He might help you win, but it's not going to be as exciting. Cal Rally, I fucking love Cal Rally, but it's not going to be the same as Julio Rodriguez. And if he, the other guys hit a home run that's a line drive into the into left field that never gets more than like fifty feet off the ground, like he hit earlier this evening, but then to like round the bases as he did and the level of excitement he had. When, no. we, when we got Julio Rodriguez back, when I saw the lineup earlier today, it was just like, thank God. I was seriously like, it, things were, it was getting dark when we got to the fourth game in a row without Julio. When they told us he was day-to-day, and it was just like, we've seen what the world looks yeah. like without you, Julio, and we never want to see it again. You were, you were citing unclear timelines for Mariners outfielders to return from injury in the past. Oh, yeah. No, I was I was thinking about all sorts of complicated things when Julio was gone, and Julio came back, and it was just like I had I had conflicted feelings about the entire world, and then Julio came back, and all was right. Baseball was good again. So I think we need to be in protect Julio at all cost mode. And I've entered into you know you know I'm even when I've criticized Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson is infallible territory. Even when, even when you once said that Russell Wilson was the 10th through 15th best quarterback in I the league. I think I said 9th through 12th. No, it's, it's, 10 it's through that's immortalized in our iTunes reviews. It's 10th through 15th. <laughs> Maybe not wrong. He's uh, <laughs> still higher than that in the tiers. <laughs> but Julio Rodriguez has entered into infallible territory. No matter what he does, he can do no wrong. He, he is it. He is the Seattle Mariners. He is the reason that I care about the Mariners for the first time since 1998. And that's it. It is Julio Rodriguez. I'm not a Mariners fan. I'm a Julio Rodriguez fan. So fuck everybody else. Fuck the Seattle Mariners. Oh, fuck their profits. This is a Julio Rodriguez podcast, not a Mariners podcast. Oh, okay. Well, I, I don't know if I agree with all of those sentiments, but that, that is one at the end I can get behind, I suppose. Uh, the, the good news on the injury front that we got over the weekend was that Kyle Lewis returned to the lineup after the break, as well as playing outfield for the first time since last year's knee surgery. That was crucial because with Carlos Santana and Ty France both in the lineup, Santana typically DHing, sometimes alternating with France at first base, there wasn't really a spot for Kyle Lewis to DH anymore. So needed him to be able to play the outfield. He's alternated starts in right field. That's been very exciting to see as well to, to get him back. Also, at some point in this podcast, we need to acknowledge that Carlos Santana had the walk-off 
sacrifice fly in the bottom of the ninth. You refuse. To me, the Mariners are on a 15-game win streak. They are on. What, the- what if I didn't refuse? Hello. Because <laughs> we acknowledge this is not a Mariners win streak, right? Again, if it's a Julio you, Rodriguez if win streak. All you're doing is cheering for Julio Rodriguez. Julio Rodriguez achieved this win streak. I, I will say there's nothing more Mariners than to come back at the height of popularity and have the most important <laughs> player in the franchise's history since Alex Rodriguez or whatever, Griffey, not play. It was like the, the sold-out Friday night, the anticipation for that game coming off the break against the Astros, the hated rival Astros, chance to tie the longest winning streak in franchise history, and like Julio mysteriously has yeah, scratched 15 minutes before game. Scratch. like, oh, come on! And then to miss How Mariners can you get? series. Oh boy, it was a it was a long series. It was a short series, but it was a long series. It's over now. We're back. The winning streak continues. Fifteen in a row. Sixteen, counting the All Star game. There we go. And now let's talk Seattle Kraken. Oh God. Who sent third and fourth round picks in 2023 to the Columbus Blue Jackets for winger Oliver Bjorkstrand, who had 28 goals and 29 assists last season, the most prolific of his NHL career at age 26. Bjorkstrand has four seasons left on an extension that carries a 5.4 million cap hit. So Kraken, with their cap space, able to swallow that easily. Uh, figures to be part of one of their top two lines on the wing. The Denmark native returns to the Northwest after playing as an amateur for the Portland Winterhawks. Hello. In the WHL. It's not a derby match when the Thunderbirds play the Winterhawks because it's only Everett and Seattle that are derby matches. They're there. all in the WHL. Correct. Everett and Tacoma? Tacoma does not have a team anymore. Every oh, they moved? Did, I, it's been a while since there's been a WHL team the in Tacoma. The Thunderbirds play now at? Ken Kent, at the Showwear Center. Oh, well, okay. Sorry, not Tacoma. That's what I meant. Kent. Yeah. 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 There was like the Sabercats, maybe? The Tacoma Sabercats? No, no. I, I, I meant Kent. I meant Kent. Yes. I drove through there. I drove through Kent Commons earlier this week. There you Would go. Would not recommend. Zero out of ten. Well. Would not go back. You've never been to a Thunderbirds game. You only went to a. I've been to a Silver Dips game. Yeah, Silver I've been to a Kraken game. Uh, Seattle Sounders, before uh, before the emergency pod, had suffered a one nothing loss at the Chicago Fire, their third consecutive shutout defeat. Uh, conceded the lone goal in that one on July 16th to defender Rafael Chiho on a hitter in the 23rd minute. Uh, that put them below 500 in MLS play, past the midway point, down to ninth in the West standings. But the Sounders returned home last Saturday with Stefan Fry back after missing the Chicago game in health and safety protocols. Sounders came from behind to beat Colorado 2-1 despite playing nearly the entire second half with just 10 men. Jonathan Lewis gave the Rapids the lead in the third minute. Sounders then equalized through Jordan Morris just before halftime before being reduced to 10 when Kellen Rowe drew a second yellow card shortly after the break. Nonetheless, the shorthanded Sounders found the winner in the 71st minute when Morris was fouled in the box and Nico Ladero converted the winner. That offense was nice to see after 343 minutes between goals for the Sounders, much of that without Raul Ruiz Diaz, who hasn't played since the loss to Portland on July 9th that started that stretch. Uh, Unclear whether Rui Diaz will be back this weekend as the Sounders visit West leading LAFC this Friday night on FS1. Then they're back home for a rare Tuesday match against FC Dallas with the chance to make up ground in the Western Conference standings. Dallas currently three points ahead of the Sounders, but the Sounders have a match in hand. Is for LAFC, it will be the first time for the Sounders facing their midseason additions, Gareth Mayo and Giorgio Chiellini. Bale opened his LAFC account 
on Saturday with his first goal. Damn. All right. Let's freaking go. And by the way, there are rumors that they're going to sign Suarez as well. Although there are also some Sounders rumors on Suarez. Are so there? Who knows what exactly is going on there. He's been linked to the Sounders for a while because he's friends with Nico Ladera. Is Suarez like not playing that well in Europe? He's, he's pretty clearly coming to MLS at this point. He's washed out. I feel like MLS is like the tier of aging players that are coming to MLS are a little bit better. I mean, I don't know. There were some pretty good aging players that came to MLS over the years. Like, obviously Beckham, but also you think of Pirlo getting to see him in uh, Seattle. Pirlo was pretty aged. He was. I mean, what's, I mean what's Bale is not that old. Swedish dude. Uh, you're welcome. Yes. Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Yeah, yeah, he was like, he was still ready to play in high oh, yeah. level I mean, national soccer. Yeah, yeah he went over and played at a high level, but he also was still very old. He's just really good. Yeah. But I feel like Gareth Bale... Like, Gareth Bale's not that old, no. Just looking to rebuild his value at this point. At LAFC. Damn. Okay. <laughs> Is that surprising? I mean, they're... To they're, rebuild your value at LAFC? They're the marquee franchise in MLS at this point. surprising. At the same time, would I choose to live in LA? I, I mean, he's been living in some pretty nice places, I think. Uh, yeah, I, yeah but he's like, doing okay. But if it's compared to like uh, somewhere in the north of England, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to yes. take LA, yeah. That sounds way better. I play my games during the summer instead of during the winter <laughs> Yes, in Manchester. He's not exactly at like Cincinnati FC. <laughs> <laughs> no. I was trying to think. No. I kept thinking of MLS teams, and I was like, well, that'd be kind of nice. <laughs> I mean, Inter-Miami. Yeah, it was kind of yeah. crunchy. I was like, well, that'd be kind of cool. NYCFC. Kinda, I was like, Nashville, yeah. even, you know, maybe that team is not very good, but I live there. Austin's very good now. Yeah. Uh O.L. Reign suffered a one nothing loss on July 17th at Kansas City in their last match. The only get goal came come from a Loyo Labonta penalty in the 18th minute as the Reign attempted 18 shots, four on goal, while being shut out. Tobin Heath did come on to make her Reign debut, playing the final 12 minutes off the bench as the Reign dropped one point out of the playoffs. Last weekend was off in the NWSL as they reintegrated players who were participating in the CONCACAF championships. Reign will be back in action this Saturday, also in L.A., facing Angel City FC. Angel City is even in the standings with a match in hand over the Reign, and while Angel City is without star Kristen Press due to season-ending ACL injury, they did add one-time Reign striker Sidney LaRue in a trade oh, with Orlando really? earlier this month. All right. Uh, exciting news for the rain this Saturday's match, the first of four, including three road matches, televised on Fox 13 Plus as part of the rain's first local TV deal. All right. So more signs of the come up for OL Rain. I'm so critical about TV deals since college sports. College sports has kind of ruined my brain. In a well, lot this of is a very different TV. No, this is fine. Like, this is good. This is a good thing for all rain. But college sports has really warped my mind about how I think about things. Like, I think college sports might be the worst thing about the United States of America. That's a, that's a very Maybe, long that's list. Too that is too far. <laughs> yeah. College I can sports, think of a few things off the top of my head. How about this? College sports is the worst thing about sports in the United States of America. That's probably true. Even including the NFL. <sighs> but uh, I seriously, like, I, I'm so critical about how the relationship between professional sports and TV after that, where it's just like... Yeah, I don't think that really, the relationship between Fox 13 Plus and <laughs> the Reign is quite the same. I agree. They're not, they're not reshaping the NWSL. I, it's only a matter of time. <laughs> you understand? Right? It's like, it's not... The, I mean, nobody the NWSL, was reshaping college football 15 years ago or whatever. 
it's not local TV deals that have any. I mean, local TV deals have some influence in the NBA, maybe in MLB, but not, not, not that broadly. Uh, Seattle Storm have won five home games in a row, but dropped a pair on the road last week. They couldn't get enough stops on Wednesday to beat a Chicago team playing without Courtney Vandersloot due to a concussion. Then were swamped in the second half by a hot shooting Mercury team on Friday in Subaru's last scheduled meeting against Diana Taurasi. Tina Charles moved into this. Again? Probably not. I mean, the Mercury might be a playoff team, but the Storm probably aren't going to be high enough in seated to play them unless Phoenix pulled off an upset in the first round. So, unlikely. Uh, see it. Tina Charles moved into the starting lineup for Friday's game, replacing Ezzy Meg Begore at center. After a down performance on Friday, Charles was dominant in Sunday's win over the Atlanta Dream, posting 27 points, 15 rebounds, 3 blocks, 2 steals, and becoming the fourth player in WNBA history to reach 7,000 career points in the Storm's win. Big road trip coming with the Storm facing the two teams on either side of them in the WNBA standings. Connecticut is one game up in third, already holds the head-to-head tiebreaker after beating the Storm twice. This is Bird's last scheduled visit to the state where she starred at UConn. And also notably the Storm now with Charles moving into the starting lineup, starting four Huskies with Charles joining Bird, Brianna Stewart, and Gabby William. Uh, Then on Saturday and Sunday, it's the lone back-to-back of the season for the Storm with a pair of matinees against the Mystics. On Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific time on ESPN, then Sunday at noon Pacific time, Storm currently one game up on the Mystics in the standings, won the only head-to-head meeting so far at home, so getting a split would give them the tiebreaker and would be huge to holding off Washington and assuring home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. There's just one table now. Yes. Okay. Yeah, no conferences, except in the Commissioner's Cup, which is confusing. Yeah, which is stupid. We agree. Uh, Mystics coach Mike Tebow told reporters earlier this week the team hopes star Elena Deladon will be able to play in both of those games as part of the team's plan for managing her minutes in the regular season. I feel like your pronunciations and things have been really top-notch today. <laughs> there have been some hard names to pronounce, and you are really, you're really crushing them. This... this uh, 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 being on YouTube for ESPN has really helped you out. I don't know that that has anything to do with it, but the WNBA names I'm pretty familiar with. You're comfortable with those? <laughs> Rafael Chiho. That was the one where I was like, damn, all right. I watched a video. like Literally watched videos on both Chiho and Loeo Labonta. I was like, no way you get two. that one right. <laughs> <laughs> you also got Bjorkstrand. I mean, that one is pronounced like it looks. So that one's not actually. Is it I don't Oliver Bjorkstrand or Olivier? Hockeyreference.com has it as Oliver. I, it looks like it is. There's no I in there. I mean, I don't. Wow, you really you went to hockeyreference.com, I mean, which is a thing. Yeah. There you go. That's where I got the stats from. Like, yeah. you look. Some of us are putting in some extra time. Yeah, on this I'm not podcast. doing anything over here. I couldn't pronounce any of these names. Uh, on the UW football front, we have a quick update from the listener Warren Arsenault okay. on. UW commit Curly Reed, the cornerback from Louisiana, we talked about a couple weeks it. ago. It's Warren uh, Arsenault from, I would, I would guess that's Arsenault with E-A-U-X. Yes. There we go. Yeah. Plays in his hometown. Legion of, his scouting report, Legion of Boom style cornerback, six foot two, tall and physical, ineligible last year due to transfer rules, but started on the state semifinal team as a sophomore. And uh, uh, Warren wrote a story for the Associated Press on his commitment to wow. UW. 
and said that he in, mentions in the story that he was really attracted to the history of UW sending defensive backs to the NFL. I mean, yes. And his, uh, Warren's comment on that was, turns out he doesn't know or doesn't care about Jimmy Lake's departure. That's all, that's so all we ask go. for. <laughs> don't know or don't care. I love it. I love the on-the-ground reporting from Warren Arsenal. Uh, in the, in the quote was, in this year's draft, they had a first-round pick, McDuffie, and a second-round pick, Kyler Gordon, from UW, Washington. That's really big having two guys from one school going to the NFL. I mean, that's pretty freaking huge. I'm talking about going in, to New Orleans in September. Nice. Yeah. I haven't been to New Orleans in much too long. It's the emo night and whole vacation, baby. Let's wrap up by talking about the Seahawks. As we mentioned earlier, training camp begins on Wednesday. Still no extension for DK Metcalf. Uh, Jeremy Fowler, my ESPN colleague, reported that he will report to training camp, but uh, it seems very likely that we'll see a hold-in along the lines of what we saw last year from Jamal Adams and Dwayne Brown. I'm fine with it. I mean, I do think it's a slightly bigger deal. I'm fine deal. with anything. DK Metcalf could be like, here's what I'm doing. <laughs> I mean, DK, I'd be fine with it. I understand. I'm totally okay with DK doing it. I think that should give the Seahawks emergency to get a deal done because DK has never caught a pass from Drew Locke. And you're saying that it's more important. I will tell you right now, Drew Locke is not the number one quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. Well, we'll, we'll, get, we'll talk about that a little more in a second. But okay. it's not like he has a lot of reps with Geno Smith. It was the three weeks that he was the starter yeah, last Gino year. Geno seemed to connect with each other. He, they did have a strong connection out of the box there. I, I agree. Uh, besides, Don't get this deal done. It's not even worth considering. That's they'll it. get it done, but it's a question of how fast. I mean, Jamal Adams missed three weeks, four weeks last year. I, I should have looked that up, but an extended period of time. Uh, besides the Chris Carson move, other moves ahead of camp, the Seahawks also have Ben Burkirvan with a failed physical designation, uh, which would allow him to potentially revert to IR if not claimed. Okay. Uh, and placed four players, most notably Trey Brown, on the P- PUP list entering training camp. So Trey Brown is on the PUP list. Correct. Still the same injury that he had last year. Yeah, still coming from back that. from that. Okay. I mean, that was a pretty serious surgery. Uh it would be sad to lose BBK. Not that he was like an impact player on the team, but still obviously love him. Certainly a contributor on special teams. Uh, the affair, aforementioned Jeremy Fowler over the past two weeks published his position rankings based on evaluations of NFL experts on ESPN.com. Three Seahawks were ranked none higher than 10th at any position. DK Metcalf was 10th among wide receivers, getting the final spot ahead of Keenan Allen with one NFL personnel evaluator saying more explosion, more scoring upside with him over Allen. Metcalf was one spot behind DK, Debo Samuel, but ahead of honorable mentions A.J. Brown and Terry McLaurin, the two eligible wide receivers who have signed extensions this offseason from that draft class. I, I don't know if I would take a ton from that. Their, their extensions are all going to be in a similar place. Correct. I mean, none of these guys, there's not a huge separation between this group. But uh, honestly, like I feel like being the 10th wide receiver in the NFL is a huge honor. It's There's a, good a place lot. To it's be not right like, now. Qu- like, even if you were the 10th best quarterback, that would be still a phenomenal place to be. But there are a lot of wide receivers in the NFL right now. You know, we're in the place where. Every- I mean, there's probably still the same number of wide receivers, more or less. There's but, a lot of very effective wide receivers. But it's different. You know, there, there are this. I, I, there might be more wide receivers, but there are more wide receivers <clears throat> who have an impact on the game in the NFL than there have ever been. Wide receivers. The probably the second most important position. So to be the 10th of those is pretty phenomenal. I honestly feel like if we are just looking at DK Metcalf last season, that is, it's an extremely high ranking. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that it's all largely based on the idea that he's going to play more like he did his second season, which yeah, is part which, of why he's... Of course you would expect that if he's going into the season with either Geno Smith or Drew Locke <laughs> oh, as his no. quarterback and not Russell Wilson. I mean, we've made the case for why DK may actually get more volume of targets. It's fucking horseshit, but okay. We, w- we will not go into next season. DK Metcalf will get this extension. DK will not be as high in these rankings next year as he is this year. With, of no fault to DK Metcalf. That's probably true. All right, moving on. Jordan Brooks ranked 10th among off-ball linebackers, two spots behind Bobby Wagner. Brooks is outstanding in the run game and one of the most explosive hitters in the game. An NFL coordinator said his pass coverage needs a lot of work. These, these quotes, this is, I've complained about this so many times, I feel like, but these quotes are just like, <clears throat> these quotes are just like, how much is this NFL coordinator saying? Like, I agree that Jordan Brooks is, uh, pass coverage needs a lot of work, but that's based upon like some pretty superficial things. And look, being 10th, if you're Jordan Brooks, is off-ball linebacker is great. Also, if you have the 10th best off-ball linebacker in the league, who fucking cares? <laughs> like, that is, that's just like dope. You have a really good fullback or whatever, you know? I think it's a little more useful than that. It, it's more fullback important than didn't, that. You didn't get uh, considered as a category here. <laughs> but like, I, I would guess that of the positions that are judged, off-ball linebacker is the least valuable to winning a football game. Running back is also ranked. I think off-ball linebacker of the oh, positions that are ranked. We're going to agree to disagree on Are the least day. valuable to winning a football game. I think Bobby like, Wagner was valuable to winning a lot of football games over the years. That's why his team was... Team was what? It was amazing defensively in his prime... Uh, Jamal Adams is 10th among safeties down from 4th last year. He's still a game wrecker, an NFL personnel director said. The same critics who praised him as one of the best players in all of football a few years ago are tearing him down. But he hasn't lost a step. He's still the same guy. <laughs> Such bland, non... It's like, dope. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I don't know. Still a game wrecker. Quandre Diggs was an honorable mention, much to his dismay. Was, I, to- I think Quandre Diggs is a better safety than Jamal Adams is. Here's Jamar- Jeremy Fowler's take on this. When evaluators discuss the Seahawks safety tandem of Diggs and Adams, they put it this way. Adams might be the better player, but Diggs is a better safety. What are we even doing? I mean, I guess to the extent these, that Jamal rankings, Adams like, is... I, all love and respect to Jeremy Fowler. This is not about Jeremy Fowler. It's about how people evaluate football players, and it is objectively stupid. <clears throat> I mean, I suppose if you're to say that Jamal Adams' pass rushing is actually as an off-ball linebacker, then well, it makes sense. Well, that's the thing about Bobby Wagner. Bobby Wagner had pass rush value as an off-ball linebacker. But if you tell me that the Seahawks have the 10th and the also 10th best off-ball linebackers in the league, I'm going to tell you, wow, that is two meaningless players that they have. <laughs> I mean... Like they've given Jam- up so much value. Jamal Adams is more in that context like a, a 3-4 defensive, 3-4 outside linebacker, I suppose. Kind of. And it's just like, again, probably the other position that is least valuable to have. Pass <laughs> rush? Not a, no, not a pass rush, but as a... Safety. Yeah. I see. Especially a safety that you would describe as... A box safety. Not as good as the other safety on his team. <laughs> it is a very confusing position. I, it, it's just, what I, these things don't matter. This is fucking fodder for July. Right, we but get it. The football season is about to start. I, we need to rank things. I think there's whatever. a context for how good is the Seahawks roster overall. If you don't have better than the 10th player at any single position, that's not a great sign for your roster. I was going to say the Rams last year, but obviously Aaron Donald was. Uh, Cooper Cup 
Go look at those numbers from last year. Preseason. We're talking July of last year. Cooper Cup was not in that top 10. Mm, was okay. he number one this year? Uh, I, I don't remember. If he wasn't, he was. it's a farce, but okay. Uh, I mean, I'm sure they had some other players higher than 10th besides Aaron Donald, who, yes, assuredly was was first among I mean, they probably had Stafford line. as a top 10 quarterback because he's tall and white. I get it. I mean, he wasn't as quite as high in the quarterback tiers as I expected him to be. I will say that. After winning the Super Bowl? Yes. Where was he at? We're going to talk about that. Well, we can get to that in a second. Okay. Oh, also, they have Jalen Ramsey. Did okay. you forget about him? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the Rams are kind of noted for having a lot of high-end talent on their roster. <laughs> Jalen Ramsey was number one against cornerbacks. Uh, let's see here. Where is the wide receiver position? Was there any Cooper Cup this time a year ago? What I'm illustrating is that Obviously, being ten, 1 is a lot more important than being 10, but it's also about where these players are. You're are. correct. The Cooper Cup was an honorable mention last year. It's about where these players are at. And it's correct. like having the number one defensive lineman or however they rank. They probably Do they rank interior and, yes. and pass rush? Yes. Where did they rank Donald? As, he's like an interior defensive line, but he's a pass rushing interior defensive lineman. He sort of functions as both. And at cornerback, like obviously, if you could have... You'd probably take the maybe even the number 10 cornerback over the number one safety, you know? So, or at least the number one off-ball linebacker. So it's about where you have these players. And I, I, I don't disagree with that. Yes. I think the Rams have done a better job, uh, even though they've sort of allocated their resources in a similar way to the Seahawks as big money going to a certain handful of players and then finding replacement value at a lot of other positions. They've done it in positions that matter. They didn't trade two first-round picks for a goddamn safety. And they also have done it well, continually building up their compensatory picks. And replacing depth that way. Yes. So in conclusion, the Rams are better run than the so Seahawks. In conclusion, I'm glad we've gotten there. Not only do the Seahawks not have high-end talent, in the places that they do have high-end talent, it is the lowest <laughs> valuable places to have such high-end talent. I'm going to take the under this year. Uh, Noah Fan. What is Tyler the over-under, by the way? I'm excited for when we start doing that weekly. We're also in the also we're in the also receiving votes category. Russell Wilson finished eighth at quarterback. That feels about right. It was funny you said Noah Fan. I was like, and <laughs> did you still think he was on the Broncos? <laughs> I was like, wait, why is this? Because I'm going to draft him in fantasy on the Broncos and be upset with him. Oh boy! Oh boy! Because they just have two good tight ends. I mean, I don't have the, uh, the time to do. <laughs> it the- is funny because Tyler Lockett is probably a better wide receiver than DK Metcalf. He is probably a more productive wide receiver. Yes. No, these are definitely... If you just value production, what else are you going to value? <laughs> I mean, team like potential is a factor in it. Okay. Whatever. Why well, I'm not finding good odds here, here uh, quickly. Uh, so you're going to have to fill a little bit more here. Well, so you mentioned quarterback tiers. Those came out this week. I'm assuming that the Seahawks are going into the league with potentially the... Did they rank both Geno Smith and Drew Locke? Yes, and that was uh, Mike Sando on The Athletic. Considered <laughs> both of them. There were 35 total quarterbacks who were considered as potential starters. And where did, where did Drew Locke and Geno Smith rank? 34th and 35th. 
Uh, Drew Locke was bringing The most up, important thing is they have the 10th best off-ball linebacker. <laughs> Drew Locke was bringing up the bottom of Tier 4, which is an improven player, not enough information for voters to classify, or a veteran who ideally would not start all 17 games. Smith was then alone among this group in Tier 5, which is best suited as a backup. Now, obviously, the reason for that is a lot of other quarterbacks who are best suited as backups are clearly going to play as backups. I also think this is kind of unfair. Like, to me, Geno Smith is clearly a better quarterback at this stage than Drew Locke. Even that's, if Drew Locke yeah, ends up that's starting. That's what I was kind of shocked about is the only reason Drew Locke is ranked high. I don't understand what a quarterback tier is. Is a quarterback tier what they have been? Is it what they're going to be? What is it? I think you're projecting what they're going to be. So you're telling me that the projection for what they're going to be is that Drew Locke is slightly better than Geno Smith? I mean, I don't I th- really buy that. I think also people could have put him in the tier four just in terms of not having enough information. That's the case you can make. I but feel like, like they sort of balance these based upon starting jobs in a way that it's just like there's but, 32 quarterbacks in the NFL. But there are two teams that have two quarterbacks ranked ahead of both of the Seahawks quarterbacks. Who else? San Francisco. Okay. Which is going to make sense that Trey Lance is going to be a tier four across the board. Don't have enough information. I, and I personally the team think that, that Drew Locke is a better quarterback than Trey Lance right now. I, I just... I have no opinion on that because who knows what Trey Lance really is. Uh, the one quarterback that I think Geno Smith is very clearly better than does not have a potential argument at this stage. Sam Darnold was a tier four ahead of both Seahawks. There's, there's these quarterbacks, we've talked about this, who just break people's brains. They just have to keep ranking them like Sam Darnold. I don't even know what it is about Sam Darnold. That people keep feeling... Who's drafted high? That's what it is. Well, Baker Mayfield was drafted higher. But Baker Mayfield was he is higher, higher than on that? the list. Yeah, he's twentieth. Okay. Yeah. So, how does this work? That Baker Mayfield was drafted twentieth and was traded for a fifth round pick or whatever, and just a pure salary dump. Sam Darnold gets traded for a first round pick and is lower. Well, Sam Darnold then played a year in Carolina and was bad in a different system than he'd... Like, the idea was, okay, well, Sam Darnold was Where was Carson problem. Wentz in this list? He was, like, one spot behind Baker Mayfield. <laughs> so stupid. I mean, the idea with what Darnold a year ago was, look, you just get him out of that Jets system. It's, it's holding him back, which wasn't wrong. It's not like it was a good system that he was in with the Jets. And he played those first two games and looked great for Carolina. And then he played the rest of the season. And it turned out the new system was not a a solve. Can I just say, I think that quarterback tier rankings, well, A, they don't matter ever. But B, maybe you can parse something from them for like the first 20 players. And beyond that, it's kind of just like, this is a bunch of players who are probably all about the same. Well, I mean, I think that's why tiers should get larger as they go down, which they do. What do you mean? Like, there's more players in each tier as you go down. But Geno Smith and Drew Locke are all in tiers of their own? No, just Geno Smith is in a tier <laughs> of his own. Drew Locke is in a, an extended tier. He just happens to be at the very bottom of that tier. Geno Smith is all alone as his tier. I mean, again, obviously, play, I, you know, I'd have to think off the top of my head who's like the proven quality backup quarterbacks in the league this year. I think there are probably a lot of quarterbacks that are around the same place as Geno Smith and Drew Locke. I mean, I assume the reason that Geno Smith ended up 35th is because of the fact that he is neither, like, proven to be good or there's, like, uncertainty about how good he is. So even with someone like, you know, Mitchell Trubisky, 
or to a lesser extent, Darnold. You can talk yourself into... Is Trubisky ahead of him? Oh, yeah. Well, of course. I mean, he's the Steelers starter. Just because a team says that a player's their starter doesn't mean they're good. But there's. But what I'm saying is... That, like, that's actually what I'm can, saying, is that they basically take the 32 starting quarterbacks. Like, I get that there are a couple teams that have multiple quarterbacks, yeah. but they basically are ranking the 32 starting quarterbacks. But the fact that you don't have a clear starting quarterback pretty That's much automatically puts you near the bottom of the list. Lumped together at 34 and 30, 35. But the, they're saying that the Seahawks starting quarterbacks are the worst starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Oh yeah. And that there are a couple teams that have two quarterbacks who are better. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's really, it's not a, it's not a Drew Locke ranking. It's not a Geno Smith ranking. It's a Seahawks ranking and it's bad. But, but also the Seahawks ranking is based on them having Drew Locke and Geno Smith. <laughs> so I, I, maybe this is a hot take or whatever. But I think that I would rather have Drew Locke combo Drew Locke, Geno Smith, than Sam Darnold. No, I don't think that's... I mean, also, like, given salary and everything like that, yes. I would rather have them than Carson Wentz by about a mile. Like, there's a lot of quarterbacks in the league, not Baker Mayfield, as discussed, who I would rather have Drew Locke and Geno Smith than. And these quarterbacks who are sort of, like, cycled through... Those players, it's like I would rather go into the season with Drew Locke. But would you rather have Marcus Mariota, who ranked like thirtieth? I would definitely rather have Mariota. It's bonkers to me that Mariota is thirtieth, though, and that is he lower than Trubisky? Uh, He was ahead of Trubisky, I believe. Where's Trubisky then? He's like thirty-first. I I just I think that I really think the tier of like twenty-one through thirty-five is about the same. Sure. Yeah, that's why they're all in the same tier. That's the point of tiers. You, okay. you understand that? What's well, I don't have the tiers in front of me. Well, it's like a 14-player tier. I, I don't know. Of the... Basically just like the bad starting quarterbacks. Yeah. I, I would rather have Mariota than either of Drew Locke or Geno Smith. Absolutely. That's why he's higher on the list. That's how, that's how the list works. I would probably rather have Trubisky, but I don't know. I, yeah, at some point. By the way, Jimmy Garoppolo... 16th. I mean... Tier 3. Where's Trey Lance? He is solidly and very low in Tier 4. I mean, I think the reality is we've seen this. Jimmy Garoppolo's stats are good. Jimmy Garoppolo is a good quarterback. And he definitely took his team to the NFC Championship game last year. You know, obviously it, it required a very important special teams play to do it. But certain quarterbacks do not are not as valued despite their on-field play because of I, I don't even want to call them superficial reasons i can't exactly pinpoint what it is maybe it's bad turnovers seem worse than just consistent play like maybe sam darnold doesn't have bad turnovers but he's just very consistently bad i mean sam darnold is pretty low on this list he's 32 out of 35 it's not like he's high on the list i, I understand that but like I do think that Geno Smith is probably better than, than Sam Darnold. Jimmy Garoppolo has, like, the, the 49ers have confidently publicly moved on from Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think that the 49ers, look, not trying to respect what the Seahawks did with Russell Wilson, but there is something about, we're done. Russell Wilson's been traded. We are doing a minor rebuild. Whether Pete Carroll knows it or not, the Seahawks are rebuilding. Yeah, but there's also a difference between Russell Wilson's value and Jimmy Garoppolo's value in the first place. Like, they got Jimmy Garoppolo for a second-round pick. I understand that, but, like, the the Seahawks 
moved on. From, I'm saying that I think the 49ers have handled this situation worse than almost any team has handled a quarterback situation, the side of the Packers. Like, the what they did is they overpaid for a first-round pick to, to draft Trey Lance. They basically handcuffed themselves because they paid so much for Trey Lance. I don't really see that Trey Lance has done anything necessarily to warrant them moving on completely from Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm a little bit skeptical whether the Niners see it either. And I think it's just they made this trade and they felt like they had to do it. They, they broke their relationship with Jimmy Garoppolo because of the trade. And they were like, we're fucking stuck. We are stuck with Trey Lance and we're going to make it happen. And that to me is how a GM and a coach get fired. I, I don't know that I think that Kyle Shanahan and, and John Lynch are going to get fired anytime soon. I mean, look, Kyle Shanahan could go year upon year upon year of missing the playoffs. Yeah, they did, and make, still, did make the NFC Championship game last year. With they've, Jimmy Garoppolo, though. They've been in the NFC Championship game, or further, two of the last four years. Is that right? Yeah. It was that recently that they were in the Super Bowl? I think so. Nah. It was the year we did our last live show. It was the 2019 season. It was right before the pandemic started. The 49ers? Yeah. It was. No, the, no, you're thinking of Colin Kaepernick. Okay, yeah. Uh, it was Jim Harbaugh was coaching <laughs> the team. The 49ers really are just boom or bust. Parenting children, coaching the team, just I, doing a lot of things. Jim I Harbaugh. will say that the 49ers, they do not shoot for the middle. No, <laughs> no. I, I, it's I, all or nothing. They have really handled this quarterback situation very poorly. And they publicly announced that Jimmy Garoppolo is not the starter. And so it's kind of like, I look. Do that going to camp, whatever you want. If they don't like the idea of competition, that's that's their prerogative to not. But they really hurt themselves with regards to value for Jimmy Garoppolo because the options are either you trade him for a low value, you release him, or you sit him. I mean, I don't think that sitting him is the worst idea in the world. Is shelving Jimmy Garoppolo? That's not the worst idea in the world. I mean, you have him there in case Trey Lance struggles or if Trey Lance deals with injuries, which I, I is just, plausible I really given... I don't think having like a The whole point of having Trey Lance is that you're going to have him run a ton. That's the reason you have Trey Lance, is to have him involved in the run game. Then you don't have a meeting and be like, Trey's our guy. But I think that's you set the expectations for Jimmy Garoppolo going in. That, that is, in my experience, that has not been the way that the NFL has worked. Maybe Jimmy Garoppolo is built differently than any quarterback ever. I mean, I, what, what is Jimmy Garoppolo going to hold out? Maybe. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to hold out. Maybe he will be very happy to play behind Trey Lance. I don't know if he will be happy to try behind Trey Lance. That's not, those aren't the only options. But I, I do think that the 49ers paid more than they needed to for Trey Lance and had to basically rally around him because it happened a year ago. He was the second pick in the draft. I mean, right? he was second, right? Uh, I think he was. I'd still rather overpay to draft a questionable quarterback than draft another position that high in the draft. Because just the chance. You didn't actually have to do that, though. They could have just stayed where they were and drafted pick three. They could have stayed where they were and drafted Mac Jones. They could have done anything differently. They and could have, but remember a year ago, everyone was making, like a year and a half ago, everyone was making fun of them for trading up to select Mac Jones. Which I guess it would deserve to be made fun of in as much as they could have stayed where they were, as you point out, and gotten him. But now Mac Jones is much higher in these quarterback tiers. Yeah, Zach Wilson's number two. Uh, I, I just... Also ahead of both Drew Luck and Juno Smith. That, he should be. 
Mac Jones took his team to the playoffs last no, year. No, not Mac Jones. Zach oh. Wilson. Zach Wilson. That's absurd. Zach I mean, Wilson's that's, terrible. It's the unproven quarterback tier, part of tier four. He, he's sort of like, all right, we'll see. But I, I just think the 49ers have handled, I think the 49ers have handled the last couple of years, all things considered, quite poorly. <sighs> I mean, I don't know. We'll see what what happens within the next few weeks here. I think we'll get more information then because obviously at one point Debo Samuel did request a trade. He has not yet been traded. Has not yet been extended. We'll see what happens on that one. We'll see what happens with the Jimmy G situation. We'll know more in a few weeks here. I've got to save a lot of money to re-up Trey Lance. Because training camp is starting the NFL season, ready or not, is here. The Pelton cast bye week is in the books. We gotta, we gotta now split our time between being both a Julio Rodriguez podcast and, to some degree or another, a Seahawks podcast. <laughs> On that note, when is the first preseason game? Really quick, August thirteenth. I got a few weeks. Yeah, they only play three now. <laughs> they do. Forgot about that. But they're 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 also having an open scrimmage on August 6th. That's like I keep that getting emails. Field. Chris just forwards me emails about going to training camp, and I'm like, I'm good, dog. <laughs> it's so easy to go to training camp now compared to past seasons. I'm, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and hit delete there. I'm good. I don't need to go on a bus. I don't need to drive to the landing. I don't need to sit on the fucking berm or whatever they call well, it. You could get dumplings there, couldn't you? At the landing? Yeah. Yeah, but then I'd have to go to Seahawks training camp. <laughs> oh. I can go and get dumplings anytime. <laughs> On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks.